Um, <coughs> every Sunday when I do announcements, I have a list of things I'm supposed to talk about. And once in a while you forget something, which is bad, but if it's for your wife, it's even worse. So, um, I was supposed to announce that if you donated for a poinsettia and you would like to take one home, you're welcome to do that after the service today. And we do have plastic bags back in the back wall. Because of the cold, you can put them in the bag to preserve them, okay? And the other thing I forgot was if you're free tomorrow night, there's about 10 Christmas trees all over this building that need to be taken down and boxed up. So if you have any time tomorrow night and you could come and help us undecorate, uh, we all enjoy it, but like our homes, that's the cost of the beauty of the Christmas season is you got to pack it away, and we're all doing it at home. So if you're free tomorrow night, okay? Thanks. We're celebrating 40 years this next Saturday, so I got to, you know, prolong this, so... Well, um, as Kim mentioned in the service a little bit earlier, um, we're getting ready to restart the story. Um, if you're visiting today, the story is a chronological Bible where the Bible is just um, put together in chronological order, so it reads a little more like a novel. And we started that in September. We took a little break for Christmas here, and we're going to restart um, in a week. And then we will go through Easter and end in May, and we will have looked at the whole Bible. Um, so it, it's sort of a fun time to do a little review. So we have a little Jeopardy game. We got to have fun with this in Sunday school, but uh, this is uh, the story, uh, Jeopardy, based on the first 11 chapters, okay? Um, and um, uh, somebody said 10 points, location, location, location. Okay, we'll do that one. Uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments on this mountain. Question, question. If it's not a question, it doesn't count. Where is Sinai or Horeb is also an allowed answer. Okay, the person who won that picked dysfunctional families for 20 points. Okay, thank you. This brother stole his older brother's birthright. Who is Jacob? Very good. And um, uh, that person picked, he said, she said for 30 points. Thank you. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Who is Joseph? Okay. And one more. From war and peace, we're going for all the bananas, 50 points. This city was only defeated after Achan's sin was dealt with. Where is AI? Okay. Well, we had a little fun with that in Sunday school. There's actually double jeopardy, too. We played them both. Um, but as you can see, as you look at God's story and you look through the Old Testament, there's lots of facts. And lots of people and places and events. But we don't want to ever forget that all of those people, places, and events are part of something much bigger. This isn't just a history. It's not just a bunch of facts. Um, and so what I really want to do today is look at some of the key things that we have looked at in these first 12 weeks of working through the Bible 
those things sort of beyond the facts, above the facts, the big picture kind of thing. And so I want to work through a few of those today, if we could, to sort of review and restart as we resume the story. One of the first things is that we've obviously, this is all about the Bible. And, and what that book is that we have in our hands, or it's in the pew in front of us, or we have a shelf of them at home, or it's a book we've just heard about. Um, we, we realize that the Bible is not just a book, and it's not just an old book, even though it is old. That in fact, this book is the Word of God. And what that means is that its source, the content in it, the thoughts, the truths in it, ultimately have come from God himself. Yes, he used some humans to write it down, but they weren't just humans writing their own thoughts. And that's part of what sets this Bible apart from any other book that we have in humanity. Two scriptures, first of all in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's from Him. It flows out of His being and who He is. His breath, His power comes into that Bible. And even though God used humans, Peter talks about that process. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. People just didn't think it up. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. That's why we say this is a God book. It's by Him. And in a sense, it's not just that God is the source of the Bible. It's about Him. And that's where the title of this book comes from, the story because ultimately the Bible is God's story. And we learn so much about God in it, and that's what we've tried to do over these first 12 weeks of the story. Keep coming back to that question, what do we learn about God? Because that's part of what God intended to happen through the Bible as we read it. We learn who God is. Not just this nebulous, unseen power. We start to learn, as we read through the Bible, who God is. His identity, what He's like, how He behaves, what's important to Him. We start to learn all of these things about God. And part of that flows out of what God has done, as we see that and learn from it, in creation, with humans, in different situations, good and bad. We learn about God as we see how He moves and works. And we learn about what God is doing. He's not done, He's not dead, He's not gone. He is involved, He's present, He's active. This same God who has worked is still working and even tells us some of what he's going to do. Not all. We'd always like to know more. But he doesn't just leave it a blank slate. He tells us some things of what he is going to do. Now, if this God is who he says he is, and if he is creator, and we're a part of that creation, then knowing this God becomes very important. 
Because somehow you see God's story is linked with our story. Because we're a part of what he has created. And so in a sense, the Bible also becomes our story. We not only learn about God as we read through the Bible, we're able to step back and learn about humanity. And if you read the Bible very much, you start to see yourself in some of the pages. And we realize that we are not that different from those people we read about in the Bible. And their story is, in fact, our story. And we learn about where we came from and who we are, our identity as humans in the midst of creation and in the midst of God. And most importantly, we learn how this creator sees us. How he feels about us, this source, this designer, this creative power that started all of this. How does he feel when he looks at us in our good days and in our worst days? We also learn practical wisdom of how life works or it can work. Everything from our own identity and worth, relationships, finding purpose in life, handling good times and bad times, business dealings, everything, responding to evil and tragedy. All of this we begin to learn and understand as we read about our story. And of course, all that I'm talking about here puts us in a predicament. Because what do we do with God and what do we do with us? And we need to be candid for a moment because there may very well be some sitting here today. We have to wrestle with, is there a God? And if there is a God, who is he and can we know him? And obviously there are voices today that would say there is no God. But you're really left with a, a tough decision. Because either there is a God or there isn't. And if we say there isn't a God, then we are left to explain where all of this universe came from. And not just this universe, but the order and the structure and the design. I find it fascinating over the last 10 or 20 years, some of the greatest scientific minds that have been bred on evolution that says there is no God, out of their scientific research, have said it doesn't work. Evolution can't work. Because there is too much complexity and too much design and too many things would have had to evolve simultaneously And so they've had to at least create a concept of an intelligent designer. Which we would say, yeah, God. Because it's the only thing that explains the universe that we see, the complexity of the human body and subatomic particles and everything on and on. And I think the other thing that this whole God talk pushes us is to wrestle with, are we God? Now, we would never, none of us probably would ever say that out loud. But don't we live that way sometimes? 
we want to call the shots. We want to be in charge. And especially growing up in the United States, we have our rights. Nobody should tell me what to do. I want to call the shots. That's God talk. That's saying, I'm the one in charge. And that sounds great. We all like to hear that. Till we run into things we can't handle and we can't explain and we can't control. And when we are in control, we make a mess of things. And sooner or later, we're driven to realize I'm really not God. I might think I'd like to be, I might think I ought to be, but the truth is I'm not God. And if I think I am, I'm kidding myself. So that brings us all the way back. There must be a God. Who is he? And how do I fit into all of this? Because I'm not God. I was reviewing the first sermon I started in September with this, and I'd use this picture. Important, here's a who. Because it struck me in September how, how much that, ex- that describes the wrestling of humanity. We're, we're the little people in Whoville. And there's so often we start to tell ourselves this is all there is and we're calling the shots. And suddenly we hear this massive elephant somewhere out there make a sound. And we're left with, oh my gosh, we're not the ultimate source here and we don't know it all and we don't have it all explained. And that's exactly what the Bible does to us. It says, no, I am God. In the beginning, I created. I am God. And we can begin to know him. And it changes how we see Whoville. Because there's something out there. Now the good news and what we celebrated in Christmas, what we celebrate in, in, in communion is how that being out there feels about us. So this isn't scary stuff. This isn't bad news. In some ways, this is the greatest news. And that's what we've been looking at. So can I quickly go through the first 12 chapters? The story and so far, there's 31 to go. We're a third of the way through, and I hope you'll stay with us. We got some fun stuff coming up after the first of the year. We we began with creation and, and how God made us as a part of his creation. In, 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 in a perfect world to be in relationship with him, and that helps us find our identity. Because God says, You're special. You're a human, you're a male, you're a female. Guess what? To you and you only in all of creation, I have given my stamp, my image. You you have a soul, you're a spiritual being too. And we find that we are special. We're God's children. And that means we matter to him greatly as any parent feels towards a child. So God feels towards us. And that's why he gave and created for us a perfect world to live in. And that's where this all came from. 
but then we also saw that relationship was broken. Because humanity said, I don't want to listen to God. I want to call the shots. I want to make the decisions. Sound familiar? The first two humans felt that way. We're not alone in that attitude. The creation told the creator to get lost. And things went off the rails when that happened. Rebellion. And as a result of that, as we dismissed God and said, we want to be in charge, things started breaking. And this perfect world knew pain and suffering. And people hurt people. And people did bad things. And people claimed that certain things were truth when in fact they were made up lies. And everything started to crumble. And yet God pursues his foolish children. Not because we deserved it, not because we were, have earned it, but because we are his children, we carry his image. And he says, I made you for my heart, I made you for relationship with you. You may walk away from me, but I will not walk away from you. And so God began working with a nation called Israel. To show his ways to all the world, not just for Israel. They were his mouthpiece, his prototype, his example of what life can be like if you quit rebelling against God and you live with God. You live with God's power. You live in fellowship with him. You listen to him and you let him be God. And you follow him. And yet the truth is we've seen in the 12 chapters and we're going to really see it in the next few chapters. Even Israel struggled. And God sent king and prophet after prophet and king. And sometimes the people would listen and sometimes they wouldn't. And whenever they listened, great things happened because they were following God. And whenever they tried to be God themselves and call their own shots, everything started to fall apart again. But God's goal never changed. Reconciliation. That that relationship could be restored. And that goal hasn't changed and God is not done. Even though Israel continues to stumble. And good things happen and bad things happen. But God won't give up. And obviously, we know the rest of the story. We've just celebrated God coming to earth, and we'll see that happen. Because he wants reconciliation. He knows we are living in a broken world. We've seen that. We see it all the time. We see it even at the holidays. My wife's a school teacher at Rum River and a huge group gathered yesterday for a funeral, uh, Friday. Third grader dies. It's like, that's not right. We will gather here for a funeral tomorrow for Todd Nagley. 
that's not right at Christmas. But you see, it's a broken world. And it's a reminder to us of how desperately we need God. We need a God who cares, a God who will come to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Because we can't call the shots, and we can't run this world, and we're not God, even though we kid ourselves. And so the question to ask is, how about your story and God's story? You're living your story. God is living His story. Are they together? Is your story walking with God's story? He wants to. He wants to be your God and for you to be His child. And He wants to help you. Tomorrow we're going to, in the funeral, we're going to look at Psalm 23. There's a reason that is probably the most powerful and popular psalm in all the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't need to fear evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me in that valley. And his rod and his staff. Come around me to protect me and guide me and comfort me. That's God's story. That's who he is and who he wants to be for you. As we start 2014, I want to challenge you to bring your story in line with God's story and walk with him in this coming year. It's the only way life works. Let's pray. Father, it's so obvious you have to exist. You're the only explanation for all this. What we're so thankful for is the kind of God you are. You're not some distant power and you're not some narrow-minded judge. You are a loving Father who never gives up on us, who seeks us, who pursues us, who even came to earth and died on a cross that we could be forgiven. And still at times we run away. We try and do it on our own. Father, we're sorry. Forgive us. Help us see how foolish we're being. And help us see our need to walk with you. To meld our story with your story. To let you be our God. And us be your people. May that be how we walk in the coming year. In your son's name.